All right, it's so good to be here this morning. This last week, we hosted LTC for Chi Alpha, which is called Leadership Training Camp. So all week long, the Chi Alpha students were, the Chi Alpha leaders were here, sweating it out, worshiping Jesus. I heard some amazing stories of, of God healing people, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a powerful week. And really, Chi Alpha, I talked about how our church has been able to raise the ministers. Chi Alpha is really the way we do that. It's kind of like a Bible school on the campus of you and I with how intense it is. If you're a small group leader in Chi Alpha, you have a part-time job called Chi Alpha, right? You work like 20 hours a week for Chi Alpha for free, right? Because you're being raised up in the Lord. So I'm just so grateful for Chi Alpha, for Pastor Derek and the whole team and what God's doing. You got to come check it out sometime on a Tuesday night. Not the first week it's going to be packed in there, but sometime, you know, sneak in, check it out, see what God's doing because God is moving in power on the campus. And I'm just so grateful to be a church that's partnered with Chi Alpha. So just want to mention that. And, it, and I'm blown away by our, our new youth and kids director. Kennedy and Noah both started like two months ago. And before that, Noah was volunteering. But it's amazing to see what God is doing in the youth and kids ministry. So if you're a next generation parent or, or a parent of a student or you're a next generation person, you're in a good place, right? We've got great kids ministry, youth ministry, Kyle. I'm just so grateful to be in a house where each generation is being taken care of, right? So I'm grateful for our leaders. Let's give God praise for our next generation leaders. I'm so grateful. All right. Well, today we're going to pick it up in Philippians chapter 3, and we've been just kind of rolling through this series this summer. And last week we went through the first part of chapter 3 where Paul, or Paul, I called him Ball because the next word is boldly. Paul boldly proclaimed, I do that sometimes, proclaimed that he counted everything as a loss compared to the value of knowing Christ. He was committed to leaving behind the things of this world and pressing on towards the prize of knowing Jesus. And and we were inspired as a church by Paul's commitment to knowing Jesus and pursuing him. We were inspired to pursue Jesus ourselves with our whole hearts. And, and today we're going to pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 3. It says this, Let those who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And therefore, my brothers, whom I love, and I long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. All right, let's pray over this. Well, first, the sermon title is Faithful Citizens. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, now let's pray over this. So Lord, I just pray that you would bless this word. I pray that you would speak through it. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to have your way. This is not our thing, this is your thing. And Lord, we just ask you to do what you want to do and say what you want to say. And God, I thank you for every heart that's here, and I pray that each heart would be touched by your love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. It was this uh, spring of my junior year of high school, and I had grown up in church my whole life. I had a genuine admiration and warmth towards Jesus. I thought he was a pretty good guy. I believe he died for my sins on the cross. I believe that he rose again. I had... I believe that I'd given my heart to him. I even called him Lord. But on this particular night, I was in a scenario that I found myself in quite a bit in this season. I was at a party doing things that broke Jesus' heart. 
at one point at this party, I remember I was in a garage doing things that you know, high school juniors do at a party in a garage on a Friday night. And I remember someone came up to me, it was an acquaintance from school, and they said, what are you doing here? I thought you loved Jesus. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, I'm getting called out. I'm like, this is like a donkey in the Old Testament talking to me. What are you doing? <laughs> and to get the person off my back, I said, well, I love Jesus, but I love partying too. Some of you have said something like that before. <laughs> so fast forward seven years. I'm 23 years old at this point, and I'm with my wife in Mexico. All the friends we're with are drinking constantly, and we're not. We don't want them to feel judged. It's never our heart when we don't drink, but we also don't want to participate. You know, alcohol had just done so much to wreak havoc in my life, I don't want it in my life anymore. At one point during this week, one of these friends said something along the lines of, how did you become so religious? And she didn't mean this negatively, like the negative connotations of religious. She was just curious. She was struck by how differently we behaved and wanted to know why. You know, we were having fun, we were loving people, but at the same time, we weren't engaging in the act, and she was just curious. In the middle of that bar, I shared what happened to me just 18 months after that party during my junior year of high school. Jesus stepped in, changed my life. He told me that he loved me even in the midst of my biggest mistakes. And that love messed me up. I couldn't fathom causing anyone to question my allegiance to Jesus again. I couldn't imagine doing anything purposefully to break his heart again. I was his, and he was mine. My loyalty belonged to him now. And when you compare these scenarios, they're quite similar, okay? In both scenarios, I, I claim to be a follower of Jesus, and in both scenarios, uh, the environment was one of drinking and partying. However, my response to the environment was quite different in the two scenarios. In one scenario, I tried blending in with the environment. It made following Jesus look pretty unattractive. I was just like everybody else. I brought dishonor to his name and dishonor to my calling as a son of God. In the other scenario, I lovingly resisted while still engaging the environment and got an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the middle of a sports bar on a resort in Mexico. I brought honor to his name and my calling. Okay, which response do you relate to more? Do you blend in with the world, or do you lovingly resist and engage the world? If you'd say that you blend in more with the world, there's no shame this morning. I'm not here to condemn you, and Jesus doesn't want to condemn you either, and we all fall short, right? We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the hope is that as we journey with Jesus, we increasingly become people of faithfulness, no matter what circumstance we're in. It doesn't matter where we're at, we're the same person. And faithfulness to Jesus, it seemed to be at the top of Paul's mind in his letter to the Philippians. The church at Philippi was located in Roman territory, and this territory was hostile to Jesus at worst and indifferent at best. And following Jesus in this context was pretty hard. If the Christians there were going to go the distance in their faith, they, they, ne they needed to be radically committed to Jesus. They couldn't be half-hearted in their commitment to him. And Paul's heart for the Philippians being faithful is clear throughout the letter. He says this in verse 27 in chapter 1. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, be like Christ in your relationships. In verse 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And just as Paul had stayed faithful to Jesus in the midst of a prison cell, he wanted the, Rome, or the Philippians to be faithful to Jesus in the Roman city. He didn't want them to just have faith in Jesus, but he wanted them to be faithful to Jesus. And Paul shows his heart again in our text today when he calls the Philippians citizens of heaven. He says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And this image of, of citizenship would have struck a chord with his readers. And Philippi had been a Roman colony since 42 BC, so about 100 years before this, when Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Julius Caesar's assassins on the plains near Philippi. It ended up becoming a home of discharged veterans from, from the army in Rome. They ended up settling there. And the city was strategically, or strategically located near an important trade route, so it stayed really connected with the city of Rome. And for the most part, the Philippians loved being connected to the Roman Empire. They loved being a part of it. And they modeled their city after the city of Rome. They had Roman aristocracy and architecture flourishing there. And emperor worship was dominant there. They would worship the emperor. And when Paul calls the Christians to be citizens of heaven... He's calling them to view their heavenly citizenship in a similar way that they view their Roman citizenship. Just as, or just as they were supposed to be fully committed to Rome, even as they lived in their distant city, they were called to be fully committed to Jesus in this world. And just as they were supposed to bring Roman culture to Philippi, they were called to bring the culture of heaven to the world. And just as they were supposed to expand Rome, they were supposed to expand heaven in Philippi. As heaven citizens, they were responsible to bring the rule in the life of heaven to earth. And Paul knew this was not going to be easy, as they had enemies of the gospel. And we saw earlier in chapter 3 that Paul was worried about uh, these Judaizers who would try to get them to obey the Jewish rituals to be saved. They had to be circumcised and follow all the rules to be saved on top of the cross. And now he's referring to a different set of enemies in verse 18 and 19, kind of the opposite. He says this, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. I love that line. Their God is their belly. This is like, pow. Their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. Unlike the Judaizers who tried to get them to follow rules to be saved, these enemies would try to get them to serve themselves and indulge in their worldly appetites. Okay, so they're equal and opposite errors. Trying to earn your salvation and then not living like God at all. These are equal and opposite errors. And, and Paul calls them to stand firm in the Lord in the midst of this in chapter 4. He says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He says, I love you like three times there, right? He's like, I'm challenging you, but I love you. I'm challenging you, but I love you, Right? He's calling them to give their allegiance to Jesus. Their allegiance does not belong to Caesar. 
It doesn't belong to the things of this world. It doesn't belong to these religious rituals. It belongs to Jesus, the Messiah. And they must live as citizens of heaven in this hostile territory. And the same applies to us today in 2023. We're called to be faithful to our heavenly citizenship. Even though we live in this world and we love the people of this world, we, this world as it currently stands is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. And when I say that this world is not our home, I'm not referring to the physical world, but to the world as the New Testament defines it. In the New Testament, the world refers to the present order that comes up against the lordship of Jesus. It's the ideas, the values, the morals, and practices that are opposed to God. In various New Testament texts, Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world. And Dallas Willard defined world as this. He He says, our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. Our citizenship is not in this present order where Satan rules, but it's in heaven. In verse 20 and 21, Paul speaks of how we await a savior who is going to transform our bodies and subject all things to himself. Okay, here's the thing. Jesus is not trying to get us out of this world, but he wants to renew this world and become Lord over it so we can live in it for eternity, the new heaven and the new earth. And Tom Wright says this in his book on Philippians. He says, living in heaven isn't the goal we're aiming at. Instead, rather, it's living in God's new world with our new bodies, our resurrected bodies. Okay, so with that in mind, when Paul says we're citizens of heaven, he's not saying we're citizens of some spiritual place up in the clouds. We're gonna float on clouds and play harps for eternity. Right, but instead in God's new world that he's bringing to earth. Our job is to partner with Jesus in his renewal project by living as faithful citizens of the new world in this current world. And this is not an easy task, right? The present world and our sinful nature, or as the New Testament calls it, the flesh and the devil, the Satan, they are opposed to us becoming faithful to our citizenship. There are dark Spiritual force is trying uh, to prevent you from being faithful, actively opposing it. It's easy to be unfaithful to our citizenship. I think there's at least three ways we're unfaithful in our current moment. I'm going to go through them as I do, see if you relate with them. The first is this. We're often unfaithful by trying to blend in with the world. Right? We just try to blend in. Like me in high school, you know, we just live like the world. We watch TV we shouldn't watch. And we celebrate ideologies we shouldn't or should not celebrate. We behave in ways we shouldn't. We idolize even good things and make them into God things in our lives. Instead of this, we should resist the ways of this world that are contrary to the ways of Jesus. We should be okay with being different from the world. I'm not concerned about being cool. I don't care if you think I'm awesome or normal. I want to live like Jesus, right? That's the heart. So faithful citizens, instead of you know, blending, and we want to resist. As Paul says in Romans 12 too, we shouldn't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Okay, the second wrong way we live as unfaithful citizens or we live as citizens in this world is by fleeing the world. Unfaithful citizens flee. They just run from all difficulty and they only hang out with Christians. We don't engage the culture. We don't engage the people in it. And this does not look a whole lot like Jesus who found himself hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners all the time, right? Instead of this, we should lovingly, instead of fleeing, we should lovingly 
engage the world while still being faithful to Jesus. That's the key. You gotta still be faithful in the midst of that. So faithful citizens engage just as Jesus did, right? That's the call, to engage the world, to not be like the world, but to be just like him. He brought light into dark rooms. That's what I wanna do, right? That's our call as a church. And the third way we live as unfaithful citizens is we fight the world with worldly methods. We get really worked up on Facebook. Unfaithful citizens fight with worldly methods. And we fight the world in worldly ways, right? We seek to control other people. We lodge hate at other people when they don't do what we want them to do. We often make human beings into the enemy, right? They're the enemy, right? Instead of loving our enemies, we hate our enemies. We seek to change people with worldly methods. Instead of this, we should put on the armor of God and fight with spiritual methods. Faithful citizens, we fight with spiritual methods. We walk in the spirit. We stand on the truth. We put on radical love, right? We pray in the spirit at all times. It's so easy to be unfaithful citizens in our current moment. We have to consciously choose faithfulness. And we must resist the world engage the world, and fight with love. But this is easier said than done. Or how do we get to a place where faithfulness is just kind of natural for us? How do we get there? Where it's just natural for us to resist the ways of the world. It's natural to engage people with love. It's natural to not want to fight with hatred, but to fight with love. How do we get to that place? How do we become faithful citizens? I think there's so much that could be said about this. We could do a 52-week series on this. But today, I'm just going to try to begin to answer the question by just working through Paul's encouragements here in Philippians 3. He gives us a bit of a blueprint for how to be faithful, how to, or how to live up to our citizenship. The first thing is in verse 15a. He says, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Okay, so Paul says that those who are mature in their faith, like they'll think in the ways that he just prescribed in the previous verses, right? Okay, so let's retrace our steps to see what we had read last week, because I'm sure you're not remembering it off the top of your head. You could look in your Bibles, but let's read it, like verse 12 through 14. It says, not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul had a mindset of pursuit And he understood that he had so much further to go. He was incredibly humble about where he was and hungry for where he could go. He didn't let his mind dwell on his past accomplishments for the gospel. He didn't didn't let his mind dwell on the things he had done for God, but instead he pressed on. He he set that aside, said, I'm pressing on uh, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And now in verse 15, he says that those of you who are mature are going to think in the same way. If we want to become faithful citizens who live up to our, our citizenship, we have to adopt this mindset. We must know that we have not arrived. Right? We're humble and hungry, the best combo in the world, humble and hungry. We must be humble about where we're at, and we must not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. A mark of maturity in our faith is to be able to admit that we're not as mature as we want to be. If you're walking around saying, I'm mature, I'm a strong Christian, Remember that last week? If we walk around saying that, you're probably not. At the same time, a mark of maturity is to have a desire to keep growing. We don't just walk in humility, but we have a ferocious hunger for more of God. 
And we want to seek him with our whole hearts. You don't have to be told by anybody. We're going to be told by your pastor. Come on. Come on, let's go. No, you're like, oh, I'm going. I'm going with or without you, pastor. Right? We have this hunger for God. And we want to seek him with our whole hearts. I believe the most mature people in the kingdom are incredibly humble but unapologetically hungry. And they confess their sins, forgive quickly. They prioritize time with Jesus in community. They make bold sacrifices for Jesus and so forth. And they recognize that they haven't arrived yet, but they have so much further to go. This is the first step to becoming people of faithfulness. It's to, to recognize we're not where we need to be yet, but we're going onward. Okay, the second thing, at the same time as we do this, we have to hold true to the progress we've already attained. So it says this in verse 16. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, so while calling the church to be hungry for more, Paul celebrates the profound progress that they've already made. And they partnered with him financially. They were, uh, were just radically generous with Paul. They, they helped him plant churches. They have a common sharing in the Holy Spirit. They have, have participated in Christ's sufferings. We've seen all that in the book of Philippians already. And, and they've grown so much. Okay, so while calling them to more, he wants to ensure that they protect what God has already done. Okay, this, they must hold true to what God has done in the past and not lose their progress. I just... As I wrote this this week, I really believe this is prophetic for some of you. You've forgotten what God has done in the past, and he wants you to go back and hold true to what you've already attained. If we want to become faithful citizens who, who live up to our citizenship, we have to ensure that, that we're consciously guarding the progress we've already made in Jesus. If we want to be faithful citizens, we must guard what God has already done in us. Okay, while we press onwards and we always seek to grow and, and we want to see more of God, we, we don't forget what God has already taught us or become lax in areas that he's already grown us in. Okay, when I think about this concept, I, I think of my desire to be physically healthy. I've gotten good at eating healthy for the first few hours of the day. I ate a smoothie in the morning. I'm like, yes, I did so good today. But sometimes I take that as license to stay up late eating milk duds. I'm like, I did so good this morning. I can have a soda, candy, bring it on. As I get better at my mornings, I need to make sure that I don't lax on my nights, right? And the same applies to us spiritually. As we grow in Jesus and seek to be faithful to our citizenship, we must make sure that we hold true to what's already been attained. And don't make the Lord teach us the same lessons over and over and over again. I don't want to be one of those people. He's like, I taught you this five years ago, you knucklehead. He doesn't say that. He says, I love you. I already taught you this. I'm teaching you again and again, and that happens to me, right? But I don't want to be that kind of person. Okay, for example, maybe in the past you've been a very disciplined Bible reader. Like you did the Bible in a year plan in half a year. You're like, wow. But, but you've struggled to pray. It hasn't come as naturally. Right? I want to encourage you, grow in prayer. Right? Grow in prayer. But as you try to incorporate that, don't neglect this beautiful discipline of Bible reading. Or maybe you've been a faithful tither your whole life. You've just known, okay, I need to give 10%. You're faithful in that. And God's grabbing your heart for kingdom builders. As you step into kingdom builders, don't neglect tithing. Right? Keep doing that and then add to it. Or maybe you've learned uh, from other people and you love learning from other people in the past. You've been someone who's who just eaten it up. You just want to learn. But now you feel like God is calling you to step into kingdom leadership. Praise God. Please do that. We need more leaders in the kingdom of God. But as you step into leadership, don't lose that heart to learn. Right? Don't, or don't lose what got you there. If you're going to be a person of faithfulness in this world, you've got to guard what God has done 
guard it. You know, something I do, I journal every single day. I have a huge stack of journals about this high. And I go and I read what God was doing last year at the same time to see. And sometimes I realize, oh, no, I've gotten worse in this area. <laughs> like, dang it. But point is, guard it. Guard what God has done. Okay, so this morning, is there anything in the past that God has done that you've let slip? Is there anything that, that you've just kind of let fall to the wayside? Hold true to what you've already attained. Okay, so this is going to help you be a faithful citizen. Make sure uh, to do these things. Make sure to, to know that you haven't arrived. Make sure to hold true to what's already been done. But also, Paul calls you to have mentors and examples in your life. He says this in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. After celebrating the fact that the Philippians had already made great progress and they attained so much, he wants them to press on by imitating faithful examples. If they were going to be citizens of heaven in hostile territory, they needed to keep their eyes on those who had gone before them. In the same way, if we're going to be faithful citizens, we must follow faithful examples. Or we have to follow faithful examples. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus in our world, we need spiritual fathers and mothers of the faith who we can imitate. And we need to learn from the examples of people in the scriptures and to learn from church history. I encourage you to read church history and learn from those who have gone before us and also find people in our own church community who can teach you something. And this is partly... Or partly why we're so passionate about leadership development here at Scent Church. We are, are ferociously passionate about it, and we're passionate about communities here at Scent Church. Our communities are our version of small groups. And when we appoint someone as a community leader, it's our way of telling you that you can follow their example, right? They're being held accountable. They're being challenged and, and pushed onward to grow, right? That's our way of saying, hey, follow this person. And we want you to have uh, these faithful examples who you can imitate and be personally pastored by in the context of your community. I highly encourage you. I highly, 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 one more time, highly encourage you to be in communities this fall. They start on September 13th. It gives you an opportunity to, or to not only learn from the community leaders, but also to learn from the other people in your community, right? And if you're someone who's God, or who God is calling to be a community leader, right, which is our main uh, it's, a, it's our main way to be a leader in our communities, communities. We're just all in on communities. So if you want to be a leader, that's where we're going to encourage you to go through, right, community leader. So if God's calling you to do that, I encourage you to start now. You don't need a title, right, to be a leader. And people follow people who are, are worth following, right? You don't need a title saying community leader. Influence is earned by just living a life worth imitating, it's not given through a title, right? It's just our way of saying, hey, these people are already leaders and, and we think they're great. At the same time, I do encourage you to go through our leadership pipeline if God is calling you to that. We are, are fiercely committed to raising up leaders and having people become faithful examples. And maybe you wonder, how does Scent Church do that? How do they raise up leaders? Well, I'm glad you came with that question today. All right, how do you go on the journey of leadership here? I actually introduced this last year on the same week. I haven't said anything about it since then in a sermon, so I'm going to say something about it today. It's the Scent Church Leadership Pipeline. This is how you become a leader in Scent Church. The first thing is activate. It's our first thing. We're like, go to activate, go to activate, go to activate. It's the first step. It, it, it launches you into a life of worship, community, and mission. The second thing is to embody activate, right? To worship Jesus, to spend daily time with him, to participate in Sunday mornings, and to commit to the process of becoming like Jesus. And the third step is to belong, and this can all happen in different orders and everything, but the point is, the third step 
is to belong to community, right? So participate in the life of the church generally and community specifically. Again, September 13th, be there. The fourth thing is to live on mission, right? Serve on the dream team, give, invite, and share Jesus with other people. And the fifth thing, the last step is elevate. Once your community leader has identified you as a potential leader, and if it feels good to you, we encourage you to go through our elevate. It's kind of a journey. It's a class, but it's more of a journey that uh, we do each spring. It's four steps, just like activate, and that's your training pad into community leading. So anyways, if you're someone who's been thinking about leadership, I just want to give you that so you're not confused, like, how do I become a leader here at Scent Church? Right, so the point is we are committed to, or to raising up people who others can follow. We want you to be mentored and to become a mentor to other people. Sunday mornings are not enough. We must have faithful examples who we can follow intimately. If we're gonna be faithful to our citizenship, we need people who can encourage us along the way. Okay, so so far we've seen that if we wanna become faithful citizens, we must have a mindset of not having arrived. And we must hold true to what God has already done and we must follow faithful examples. But there's more. In verse 20, it says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. If the Philippians were to live up to their citizenship, they had to remember that the Savior was coming back. He's coming back to get them, right? He's coming back to set everything right. He will transform their decaying and, and now dead, because they're all dead at this point, right? They didn't live for 2,000 years. He's gonna come back, transform their dead bodies, and rule over the world. And this is what gave them confidence when they faced extreme difficulty. The king is returning. And when the Philippians read this, they would have thought of their Roman citizenship. If they faced a rebellion or an invader from the north came in, their best hope would be the emperor coming to save them. He had the authority and the power to set things right. In the same way, when things got hard living as a citizen of heaven in hostile territory, Uh, The Philippians could have confidence in the Holy Spirit uh, that he was working and that the Savior King was coming back to set things right. He can't and won't lose. Jesus will win. In the same way, if you're going to be faithful, you need to know that Jesus wins. Right? Come on, somebody. Are you going to get fired up in church today or not? He's going to win. Right? So I don't know why you're freaking out. Why are you all freaking out? I'm just saying. Here's the thing. Like when things aren't going the way you want it to in culture, why do you freak out? Like why are you scared? The Holy Spirit is alive. He's on the move. He can change things in a moment. And Jesus, the Messiah, is coming back. And he's setting everything right. Every injustice will be set right. He will set things right. God is looking for a church who will be non-anxious. Right? We're not anxious. We're not scared. We're not defending something. Right? We know that our king wins. And we're confident in that. Right, so that's how we be faithful. If we're going to resist the temptation to hate our enemies, if we're going to resist the temptation to blend in with the world, if we're going to resist the temptation to flee from the world, we have to remember that, hey, we're on the winning team. The king is coming back. He's not forgotten about us. And when we know this, we can love our enemies, knowing that the Lord is Lord over them as well, and he will have his way in their lives. And we can resist temptation, knowing that he will judge and that his world is better than Satan's world, and we can stand our ground in confidence. In the same way, we can even trust God's work in the church, right? So let's go back to verse 15. I think this is interesting. Paul says, let those who are mature think in this way. And then he says this, and if anything you think otherwise, 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. After calling those who are mature to think in the same way as him, Paul expressed his confidence that God would help those who don't think in that way yet to get up to speed. So Paul, he's showing his confidence in the Holy Spirit's work in the church. He didn't feel the need to fix everything. Right? He didn't feel the need to control people. And when we know that, that we serve a victorious king and a capable Holy Spirit, then we don't get shaken by things not going perfectly, but instead we confidently trust. We trust God's work in our friends. We trust God's work in our church. And this is how we become faithful citizens. We know that we haven't arrived. We guard what God has already done, and we follow faithful examples, and we remember that Jesus is going to win. And this is how we resist instead of blend. It's how we engage instead of flee. It's how we fight in the spiritual and not in the worldly. This is how we stand firm in the Messiah, as Paul calls us to, in chapter 4. In our cultural moment, this is our call. We don't need to try to be like the culture. We don't need to fit in. We are okay with being weird. And we don't run in fear. I ain't scared. Right? We don't run from our city. We don't just have holy clubs and hide out. We lovingly engage. And we certainly don't need to fight with worldly weapons, which I think a lot of the church has kind of come to that. Well, if we can't win through the Holy Spirit, we're going to fight through other methods. No, 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 we don't do that. We resist that temptation. Our hope is not in convincing people of our rightness or in trying to gain worldly power. Our hope is in, an, is in our king who will set everything right. And this is what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. Okay, with this in mind, is there something practical we can do to help us live into these things? Is there a habit we can practice that can help us embody everything we've talked about? I'm glad you asked. There are many. There's one that towers above them all, scripture. The scriptures, reading the scriptures. The scriptures are a library of God-breathed writings that tell us a unified story that, that leads to Jesus. They are beautifully preserved in our Bibles, right? And, and, and reading the scriptures in a disciplined and thoughtful way it's one of the surest ways to become a faithful citizen. And they help us with all the things we've talked about today by reminding us that we haven't arrived. When I read this, I'm like, man, like you've been getting convicted in the Philippians series. Let's be honest, we've all been convicted big time, right? Like we read it and it reminds us we haven't arrived yet. It helps us bolster our commitment to what God has already done by reminding us of the things he's already done. It gives us so many faithful examples and it reminds us that Jesus is coming back. Scripture is vital to living as a citizen of heaven, and Jesus knew this. He was a rabbi. He was a, a Bible teacher. His mind was saturated with the Scriptures, and this is how he was so easily able to teach and quote and pray the Scriptures. It's like a second language, and we see throughout the Gospels that the Scripture just oozed out of him. It was his lifeline. If we're going to live up to our citizenship in our present world, we need the Scriptures, and we need to swim in God's reality. Right? We don't just read scripture to check off a box or to gain knowledge. If you're trying to read it as fast as you can, you're doing it wrong. If you don't remember anything, you're doing it, which it's okay to grow in it and everything, but the point is if you're laying down late at night and you got one eye open, you're like, Bible app, ugh, quick, get it. Okay, it's better than nothing, but the point is you want to actually understand what you're reading so you can be transformed. Right? We don't read it just to read it. We don't read it to post on Instagram about it. One of you just got shot down right there. But instead, I'm just kidding. But 
Instead, we read it for transformation. We read it to obey it. If you want to post on, on Instagram about scripture, that is totally cool. I'm just playing with you. Sorry. Anyways, sometimes I get feisty. All right, as we read, as we read, we recognize that it helps us to abide in Jesus. It helps us to remain in him as we talked about last week. In verse seven of John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me, in my words abide in you. My words, the word of God, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, we all have words and ideas flowing through our minds all day long. The world is telling us stories about the way the world works that is contrary to the way of Jesus. The devil is lying to us all the time as he is the father of lies. But, but when we abide in Jesus' word, we combat these lies. We conform to truth. We allow Jesus to reorient our heart and we guard our minds against anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Right? We're being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Right? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm praying for a church that is in love with the Scripture. Maybe we're, we're getting there. You're getting excited about Scripture this morning. Right, but I'm praying for that, just this love for Scripture. We all read the Scriptures every day, right? That's the hope. And, and there's no right way to read Scripture. You can read a small section. Besides, you can't do it that fast. But anyways, besides that, there, <laughs> you can read a small section slowly and prayerfully, right? You can also read or listen to large chunks at once, or you could study it one word at a time. You could listen to teachings on it. I do encourage you to actually read it, not just listen to teachings, but that's part of it, uh, or you can memorize it, you can pray the scriptures. There's so much to it, right? And if you want more information on, on getting started with scripture reading, I encourage you to go to our website. We have it up on the screen here. It's wearesent.church slash worship. Go to that tab. It just kind of walks you through how to get started. But I do want to give you just three goals to, or to encourage you along the way, okay? So if you've never read before, I want to encourage you to read one chapter per day, or maybe one section, right? But, but just one part a day. It could be New Testament or the Psalms. I would encourage you to stay out of Leviticus for now. You'll get there someday, right? It's good stuff, but it takes a minute. Start with something that's going to really be encouraging. And I just want to encourage you to write something down about what you read. The, uh, the journaling method that I have on the website is called SOAP. I won't explain it today, but the point is just journal about a verse that, that stuck out to you, okay? That's the that's the first thing. If you've already been doing that, I want to encourage you to step it up and don't just take in like the scriptures, but block other things out, right? So set some limits on your screen time or entertainment, right? Maybe instead of five hours of Netflix a day, do four, right? Just take a step in that direction. Set some limits, right? I think that should be the standard for all of us, that each of us are reading a chapter a day or, or, or section, and we're setting limits on our phones and our TVs. If you want to go above and beyond, if you want a gold star, we'll have them outside after this. Just playing, but, but try to read the whole Bible every year. And I, I, know, I know this isn't probably for everybody, right? If you've got four kids under five, Emily, my wife, maybe it's not a good season to do that. I'm just playing. That's my wife, Emily. We have four kids under five next month. There'll be another baby born. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Lord. But uh, just joking around. But uh, so maybe it's not for everybody, depending on the season you're in. But I do want to encourage everyone to kind of have that goal uh, to read the whole Bible every year. I've been doing it probably for the last seven or eight years, and just been transformative for me. So I just want to encourage you with that. And we have a plan on the website that I love. It's a five-day plan, so if you miss a day during the week, you can make it up on the weekend. 
And if you read every day, then read something else on the weekend, right? Read something that, that's on your heart, right? I think the five-day plan is the way to go because for some of us, we're doing the seven-day plan, and you miss a few days, and then you try doing like six days in one day, and that's not fun, right? Unless you're just like have all the time in the world. All right, as you go on this journey of incorporating scripture into your life, it's gonna help you embody all the things we've talked about today. It's gonna help you be a person of faithfulness, right? So the main idea this morning is we're called to be faithful to our heavenly citizenship. That's the call. At the beginning of the sermon, I shared a bit about my transformation, or transformation from a high school junior who lived just like the world to, uh, to someone who was willing to experience awkwardness to live, or to live up to my citizenship. And the question is, how did this transformation happen? And there's so much that could be said about this. There's not one thing that uh, led to that transformation. You know, I encountered Jesus' love. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I engaged in Christian community. All these things helped me be faithful. When I struggled, I'd be able to confess my struggle to other people who loved me. That helped a lot. But there's one incredibly uh, practical thing that I started incorporating into my life and that has been my guiding light now for 12 years, and that is the daily reading of Scripture. Everything I shared with you just now about you know, starting to incorporate scripture into your life, I began to do on the second floor of Norn Hall during my freshman year of college. Every morning I had an appointment with Jesus. Sometimes I was late to that appointment, but every morning I had an appointment. And I've kept that appointment for the last 12 years, obviously missed days and stuff like that. But the point is, it's changed my life. Scripture has changed me. Each morning as I read, even if I'm not like feeling all the butterflies and stuff, I taste just a bit of transformation. I'm reminded of how far I have to go. I'm urged to guard what God has already done. I read from faithful examples. And I remember that Jesus wins. And this helps me to become a person of faithfulness who resists the world's temptations, engages the world with love, and fights with spiritual methods. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I need to be. But Jesus is slowly completing the work he started in me, just like he promised the Philippians he would. With that in mind, are you living up to your citizenship? Are you being faithful in this season of your life? Okay, when you're in environments like the environment that I talked about at the beginning of my sermon, how do you tend to respond? Right? Do you blend in? Do you flee? Or do you, you know, fight wrongly? Or do you respond faithfully? If you tend to be unfaithful, there is hope today. Jesus is eager to forgive you. He's eager to forgive you. The, or the way that we can become faithful is by continually seeing the faithfulness of Jesus in the midst of our unfaithfulness, right? He continually forgives us. He's eager to give you a fresh start. Because he died on the cross and rose from the dead, we can experience forgiveness and new life every single day. It says in Lamentations that his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. You can't outrun his grace. That East to West song was wrecking me today, right? You can't outrun his grace. If you struggle to be faithful, I want to encourage you to repent today, right? The Lord's not looking to shame you, but repent. Name it before the Lord. Say, Lord, I've been unfaithful to you. I have not lived up to the citizenship that you've called me to. I receive your grace. Now help me, Lord, to be faithful in the future. Help me to just grow a little bit in my faithfulness. If you've never experienced Jesus' grace, I pray that you would today. 
pray that you would. He wants to just lavish grace on you. That's what messed me up, was the grace, right? I'm like, what? After all the things I've done, after the thing I said in that garage 18 months ago, you still love me? So if you haven't experienced this grace, I pray that you would experience it today. Just grace on top of grace. And as you repent and as you pray, think about how you can adjust moving forward because the system that you have in your life is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting, right? So if you keep being unfaithful, it might be something to do with the system you have of not reading the Bible, taking in all this content that's contrary to the gospel, right? Like not being in community. Your system is designed to give you the results you're getting. So, so make plans to, or to read the Bible daily and make plans to be in a community this fall and make the changes you need to make. If we can be a people who repent of our unfaithfulness right when it happens, like we've been unfaithful, okay, I repent and then experience God's grace. And then we intentionally incorporate disciplines into our lives or habits that help us to be faithful, then I think we can become people of faithfulness. And as this happens, we'll see transform, or transformation not just happen in our lives, but in our cities. And we'll offer our cities a better way than the ways of this world. They need to see a better way, right? They need to see something different about us. Our faithfulness, I'm praying that our faithfulness would be a sign and a wonder to the world, to our cities. They'd be compelled by it. Like, what are these people? Who are they? What is different about them? I pray that our faithfulness would be a sign that a new world is coming. Jesus, in this hour, he's raising up a church that is radically faithful. That's what he's doing in this moment. I believe it. He, he's raising up people who are not half-hearted, but are incredibly faithful, people who are citizens of heaven. All right, can we make a commitment to that today? That's what I wanted. So stand up all across this room. Let's make a commitment to it. And if you are here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I pray that you would do that today. And there's no magic formula, right? There's no like, you gotta do this, that, and that to be saved. All it is is putting your trust in Jesus. Right, so that's your, I want to give you a chance to do that. Let's have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And maybe you came in and you're like, I've been unfaithful to Jesus. I'm not walking in right relationship with him. And you need a fresh start today. The good news is there's always a fresh start available. And I want to give you a chance to receive that. And here, simply what we do is we just raise our hand to heaven saying, hey, Jesus, that's me. I need a fresh start. I repent and I turn to you. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus, or recommit. I'm going to count to three. I just slip up your hands when I do. So one, two, three. Slip up all across the room. See that hand? See that hand? See that hand? See that hand in the back? Is there anyone else? See that hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. There's lots of hands going up. See that hand? All right. See that hand? I think there's about seven or eight people responding to Jesus right now. All right. So I want to pray. And as I do, just pray in your heart. Just pray in your heart. Pray prayer of repentance and putting your trust in Jesus. And Jesus is faithful to forgive you when you do that and to welcome you into his family. So let's pray right now. Lord, I thank you for these hands that are up all across from these hearts. And Lord, they are wanting a fresh start. They are wanting forgiveness. They're wanting to be in your family. So God, right now we just, just pray alongside them and, and we repent of our sins. Lord, we repent and we thank you for the fresh start that you give us. God, we thank you for calling us son or daughter. God, we're so grateful for the cross, the place where you died for our sins. And God, we're thankful that you came back up out of that grave. God, death could not hold you down. Lord, we thank you that at the end of the day, we're gonna be with you for eternity in this new world. God, we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen, amen. Let's give God praise all across the room. Come on, praise God. Come on. Yeah. All right. Come on. There's new citizens. There's new citizens of heaven. We're gonna have a citizenship ceremony after this. Come on. <laughs> right, but if you've already gotten your citizenship card, but you haven't been living like a citizen, I believe the Lord wants to do something in you as well today. So what I wanna do is we're gonna sing this song and I'm gonna open the altars up. The prayer team's available. If you just need to like bolster your commitment to your citizenship, you just need to bolster your commitment to faithfulness, just come to the altar, find a spot, pray, and someone will come pray with you. Uh, yeah, just find a spot before the Lord. It's not about anyone looking at you or anything. It's just about you and the Lord. So I'm gonna pray and after I pray, come to the altar and let's just get with the Lord as we worship one more time. So Lord, right now, uh, for every heart in this room, Lord, everyone that calls you Savior, calls you King, I pray that, uh, that you'd help us to be faithful citizens. Lord, help us. Help. It, it's hard. It's hard in our current our current moment. It's difficult, Lord. It's tempting to blend in. It's, it's tempting to run away. It's tempting to fight. But God, I pray that you would just uh, right now forgive us and help us to do better. And God, we thank that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, help us to also be intentional and get some new habits in our lives. So God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.